Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. Jesus forgave us of all sin, past, present, and even future sin. The first time I realized that Jesus took the absolute penalty, punishment, all of it for my sins, that was freedom for me. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Monday's broadcast of The Gospel Truth. Today, I'm continuing a series that I started last week talking about the living in the balance of grace and faith. That's the title of this book that I have. This is the very first book that I ever produced. I don't know, 25, 30 years ago or something like that. I've also got it in a study guide. I've also got CDs and I've got DVDs. And I'm teaching this a little bit differently than the CDs and DVDs are. So I just felt impressed to do that. Last Friday, I started uh, ministering out of Hebrews chapter 4. So all of these materials are going to be a little bit different approach than what I'm taking right here on the television program. So I say that to make a point that I'm teaching the same truths, but if you take these television programs and put them together with these materials, I think you'll even get a better feel for what I'm saying because it's the same truth just approached from a different uh, direction. And I believe it would help you to be able to get hold of this truth. As I said last week, this is kind of the thing that is the major difference between my ministry and most ministries. I feel in a sense like I'm a joint or a ligament, you know, holding two things together. There is the grace camp and there's the faith camp. And basically, the grace camp totally rejects the faith camp. The faith camp rejects the grace camp. And they, uh, uh, you know, there's not an agreement between the two. But as this teaching teaches, it's the balance between grace and faith that really releases the power of God. If you take grace to an extreme, it produces passivity and it produces just an acceptance of anything that happens as being God's will. It causes this extreme sovereignty of God type of teaching to where everything that happens is totally up to God, whether it's good or bad. And I tell you, that is terrible. That is a terrible, terrible mistake. I've had people before get mad at me when I counter this extreme sovereignty of God type of thing. And I've had people come up and say, that's the devil, how dare you teach this? And I've, turned, I've taken their own teaching and turned it back on them and said, now, wait a minute. Don't you believe that everything that happens is God's will? And they say, yes, absolutely. And I say, well, then I couldn't be teaching this if it wasn't God's will. <laughs> and then they'll get mad and say, no, this is not God. Well, you're violating your own teaching because you're saying that everything that happens is God's will. That just doesn't work. That is an extreme. I believe in the sovereignty of God, but not the sovereignty of God the way it's taught by most fundamental type Christians to where God just controls everything. And it's up to God whether you get healed. It's up to God whether or not you prosper. It's up to God whether or not you have joy. God just moves us around like a chess piece and we have no part in it. That's not true. It's not just God's grace. We have a part to play and that's what the Bible calls faith. But then on the other hand, there's an extreme type of faith to where they don't acknowledge that grace is how God moves and that God doesn't give us what we deserve and He doesn't respond to our faith. Our faith 
if it's understood properly, true Bible faith is just a positive response to what God has already done. It is not something you do to gain a positive response to God. So that's what I was teaching on all last week. And then on Friday's broadcast, I begin to get into Hebrews chapter 4 where it talks about that there is a rest for the people of God and that we have to labor to enter into that rest. It takes some effort in the renewing of our mind to get to a place to where we have peace and we are just trusting and relying on what God has done and not trusting in our own goodness. We are not approaching God on the basis of our performance. Man, I've already said a lot, but that's what we've been talking about. I want to turn over to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and begin to illustrate this because in Hebrews chapter 4 where it starts talking about this rest, it refers back to God, how that He rested on the seventh day. This is a quotation from Genesis chapter 2 and in verse 2 it says, On the seventh day God ended His work which He had made and rested on the seventh day from all His work which he had made. So God rested on the seventh day. And last Friday I was explaining, this wasn't because he was worn out. God doesn't get tired like that. God doesn't have to rest. There is no limits to his strength and his ability. When it says that he rested, he rested because everything was complete. It was so perfectly done that the Lord didn't have to respond to us and all of a sudden, uh, you know, do something to meet our needs. Now, this is really important because this illustrates perfectly what I'm talking about, about us putting faith in God's grace. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, you'll notice that God created the heavens and the earth first. And then in verse 3, God said, let there be light and there was light. You know, as you go on down, this was on the first day of creation. It was actually the fourth day when God created the sun, the moon, and the stars. So He created light three days before He created a source for that light to come from. Boy, that's significant. Anyway, there's a great truth there. I'm going to pass on that, but th this is just amazing to see how God created the, the earth, the heavens and the earth. Then He said, let there be light. And then he commanded all the waters to be um, brought into one place and let the dry land appear. And then he spoke and created trees and vegetation. And then he created the animals in the sea and in the, uh, on the dry land. And then in the 26th verse, he said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And it goes on and talks about all of this. If you study this, and I'm not going to take time to study, I'm just going to point this out, but you can read all of this in Genesis chapter 1. Man was created on the last part of the sixth day. And I say that because on the sixth day, God started creating the animals. And then after he had created the animals, he created man and he brought the animals to man to see what he would name them. So anyway, he created the, all of the land animals and men on the sixth day. And then in chapter two, he rested on the seventh day. So the point I'm making is, that man wasn't created first, even though this was really the goal and the focal point of God's creation. 
man was created last at the very end of the sixth day. And I believe the significance of this is that God created everything that man would ever need. He anticipated all of our needs and he created all of the supply first. And then he created us so that we immediately entered into this rest, into this Sabbath day where God, everything was complete. God rested, not because he was tired, but because everything was complete. And then we immediately entered into this completeness. And so Adam, when he needed a breath, God didn't have to create air for him to breathe. He had anticipated this and he already created the air and all Adam had to do was just breathe. When Adam needed something to eat, he didn't have to go and say, God, I'm hungry. And then God had to respond to him and provide him with something to eat. But God had already anticipated this and there was enough food on this planet, I believe, to feed millions, billions of people. Did you know that we now have over 7 billion people on the planet by some people's estimation. And yet, God has never had to create any new air. He hasn't had to create new food. He hasn't had to create new trees, new ground, new anything. Did you know that God, when Adam and Eve were here on this earth by themselves, I believe that there was enough air to support the 7 billion plus people that we now have. There was all of that provision back then. There was all of the food back then to support all of the people that we see on the planet today. God anticipated the needs not only of Adam and Eve, but of the entire human race for all time in the future. God created everything that we'll ever need. I believe that all of the gold, all of the silver, all of the metal that we'll ever need, all of the resources in the earth that the entire human race will ever need, God anticipated it and it's already here. This is one of the reasons that I do not embrace and promote the attitude that so many people promote today about the earth is so fragile and we're destroying the earth and that if we don't do something, we're destroying the ozone later or we're destroying all of this stuff. God anticipated everything that the human race would ever do. And I believe that the earth is not fragile. I think that a lot of this thought comes from the fact that people do not believe that it was supernaturally created. They believe that we evolved. They believe it's all chance and circumstance and that it's very fragile, that it is a absolute anomaly that life exists because the chances, the odds are against us and they believe it's fragile and that we can do something to destroy it. I don't believe that at all. I believe that God created it. Man, he knew everything that man would ever do. He provided everything that we ever need. Now, does this mean that we just continue to use fossil fuels forever? I don't know if there is a limit to fossil fuels. I've heard some reports that literally if we were to use the fossil fuels that are available right now, it would sustain anything that the human race wants to do, billions of people for hundreds of years. And so I'm not sure that we are nearing an end of that supply. But if we were... Well, then there's another way of doing it. I actually have seen uh, a car that ran over 100,000 miles on water and it somehow or another separated the hydrogen and oxygen from the water and it ran over 100,000 miles. They drove over 100,000 miles on water. 
there's, if, if it's not fossil fuels, there's something else. So anyway, I don't want to get off into all this environmental stuff, but I do not believe that the earth is fragile, that we are destroying it, that we can destroy it. I think that that is an exalted view of mankind and a diminished view of God, people that hold those kind of things. But my point in saying all of this is God created everything that the entire human race would ever need and then he rested, not because he was tired, but because it was complete. He anticipated every problem, every need, everything that the human race would ever need and it's all here. It's all here. I, I can't prove this by scripture, but just based on what I know about the Lord, I believe that he could have spent eons thinking about exactly what he was going to create and what would happen and all of the needs of men. And then when he said, let there be light, boy, those words may have caused everything to come to pass, but he could have put, you know, eons of time into thinking about what that meant. And, and he just created these lights and did these things. But God anticipated every need. And when Adam needed something, he didn't have to go to God and God said, oh, I forgot that you need to breathe. Here, let me create air. And then he gets hungry and he says, oh, I didn't anticipate this, but if you will believe me, I will give you food. No, God created everything that Adam and Eve, the entire human race, could possibly desire. Everything that we could ever want is here in a supernatural abundance. And did you know that when sin entered into the world and death began to come by sin, people died, animals died, plants died, and things like this, God had anticipated this so that He gave the ability for the creation to procreate. Look at some of the wording of this. This is just amazing. In verse 11, it says, And God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth, and it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed is in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Did you know that we read that and we think, well, this is kind of wordy. Why didn't he just say, let there be grass, let there be trees, let there be herbs? Because see, if he would have created it that way, once sin entered into the creation and those original trees and grasses and herbs died, then he would have had to create new grass and trees and herbs and things like this. But when he created it, it's very specific the way he said it. Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind whose seed is in itself. Did you know that the way he spoke these things into existence, he gave all of the grass, all of the herbs, all of the fruit trees, and as well animals and people, the ability to reproduce so that when sin entered in and death began to come into the uh, creation, he doesn't have to get up in the morning and say, let there be a million new cows to supply the needs of mankind. Let there be a million new bananas, trees, and things like this. He created them so that they reproduce, they procreate. And what this means is that when God rested, this is really significant because he has never had to create again. 
He doesn't get up and create new animals, new people, new trees, new fruit, new anything. He anticipated everything that could ever happen, even sin coming in and death beginning to cause the, the end of grass and trees and herbs and stuff. And he anticipated this and gave them the ability to procreate through these seeds. So that when it says God rested on the seventh day, this is a really accurate description that he doesn't get up and he isn't having to recreate new things. He's not having to do things. He's anticipated the needs of the human race for, you know, right now since the creation recorded in the Bible, it's been a little under 7,000 years and he has never had to create anything since then. He anticipated all of this. And if we grow to where there's 14 billion people on the planet or whatever, there will always be enough air. There will always be enough oxygen. There will always be enough food. There will always be enough resources. And some people say, well, see, you just don't understand that we are depleting all of these things. Well, you don't understand that God rested. He anticipated all of these things and He made everything so complete that all Adam had to do is just, you know, if he wanted a banana, just reach out and grab it and say thank you. Now, did this mean that God fed it to him intravenously? He didn't get it by osmosis. There was something he had to do. He had to reach out. He had to take the banana. He had to peel the banana. He had to put it in his mouth. He had to chew it. He had to swallow. But God had already made the provision before he ever had the need. And see, there is a perfect illustration in this for what I'm talking about, the balance between grace and faith. There are some people that think that God hasn't anticipated what their problem is. And so when they have, like say for instance, a physical need, a healing, if they get cancer in their body, they go to God, no God, please heal me. And they believe that they have to do something to make God move and heal them. But the Bible teaches us, 1 Peter 2, 24, that by the stripes of Jesus, we were healed. It's already been done. It's very similar to Adam. When he got hungry, he didn't have to ask God for a banana. God had already created it. It was already there. All he had to do was reach out and take it. Now, it didn't automatically happen. God didn't just, you know, make him receive the nourishment from that banana without him reaching out, taking it, peeling it, and eating it. But he was just responding to what God had already provided. God had already provided the need. And his faith was nothing but a positive response to what God had already provided. This is the way that faith and grace need to operate in the New Testament. We need to believe that God by grace has already healed us, just like 1 Peter 2.24 says. By his stripes we were healed. And so when the doctor tells you that you've got cancer, you don't go and, oh God, would you please heal me? See, by you looking at it that way, there's an element of doubt in it. If God hasn't healed you, well, then there's a possibility that he might not heal you. And most people think it's just dependent on how sincere they were, how hard they pray, how hard they cry, how desperate their situation is. And so they do things. And if they don't see immediate results, then they'll call the prayer chain and try and get other people to put pressure on God. And maybe if we could get a thousand people bombarding God, he might not respond to your prayer by himself. But a thousand people, maybe that would motivate God. 
I know you wouldn't say it that way, but that is the logic that a lot of people use. And see, what you're doing is just denying that God has already anticipated and by His stripes you were healed. It's already done. You don't have to go to God and ask God to heal you and say, God, please respond to my faith. I believe in you. Now you heal me. Again, see, that has doubt in it. But if you can understand that just like Adam, he had already created everything that he ever needed to eat and all Adam had to do is just pick and choose what it was that he wanted to eat, reach out, take it and say thank you. Likewise, God has already provided your healing. If you've been diagnosed with cancer or ALS or anything that's incurable, you don't need God to heal you. By His stripes, you were healed. You know, it says by His stripes. When did Jesus take stripes? That was when He was here on the earth in His physical body in Herod's judgment hall. He was beaten with stripes. And by those stripes, 2,000 years ago, you were healed. God has already provided it. It's here. It's not a matter of you getting God to heal you. It's a matter of you reaching out and taking it. You know, similar to you could, you can make iron from rocks and stuff, but it's not just automatic. You can't just take a, a rock and it's automatically a piece of iron. There's some things that you have to do to heat that, to melt it, to temper it, and to beat it into the right shape and to make the right tool out of it or the right steel beam or whatever. But everything that it takes is already there. There may be some assembly required on your part, but God has already provided it. Likewise, God has already provided your healing. God has already provided your prosperity. God's already provided your joy. He's already provided your direction. God is not responding to your faith. And when you come up with the problem, God says, oh man, this is bad. I need to heal them. No, 2,000 years ago, God anticipated the sickness and the disease that would come in the earth and he took it into his own body and you were healed of your cancer, of your ALS, of your multiple sclerosis. You were healed of all of these things 2,000 years ago. The provision is already there. You've just got to discover it. You've got to believe that it's done and then by faith reach out and begin to rest in this. Instead of trying to work and get God to do something. Oh God, hear my cry. God respond to me. God do something. See, that's the attitude that the average Christian has. But instead, it ought to be God, thank you that before I even found out about this problem, you already dealt with it. That you've already healed it. You've already provided it. Thank you, it's a done deal. Now, what, how do I receive this? And you go to the Word and you begin to find out how people received from God, how they believed God, how they reached out and appropriated. And you find out that God is no respecter of persons, Romans chapter 2, verse 11. And so you just say, praise God, if that worked for them, it's going to work for me. You follow these instructions, you reach out and you take what has already been provided for you through grace. Man, I hope that this helps you. This just really, really blesses me. And I'm going to continue to talk about this and show you that this is what the Sabbath was all about. Most people have totally missed the symbolism of the Sabbath and have just observed the physical day and they have missed the whole point here. And we're going to be dealing with this and I think it's going to make a big difference in your life. So I encourage you to continue to listen in. Let me remind you that I'm offering this book entitled Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith. I have a study guide on this. I have the uh, teaching in CD 
and in DVD that was taken from a meeting and then other DVDs that were taken from the television program. We also have the book in foreign languages. If you'll listen, our announcer is going to give you all of this information and I encourage you to please call or write and receive these materials today. We hope you were blessed by today's episode of The Gospel Truth. Andrew and Jamie wish to share their sincere gratitude for all the grace partners of Andrew Womack Ministries. Your generous partnership enables us to take the gospel, the nearly too good to be true news, to the ends of the earth. May God richly bless you for your faithfulness. If you're not already partnering with Andrew Womack Ministries, we encourage you to join us in this great harvest today. Andrew's teaching titled, Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith, is available as a live teaching on either CD or DVD, or in a DVD set as seen on TV. You can also get this teaching as a book or study guide in either English or Spanish. Or you can get the Living in the Balance of Grace and Faith package, which includes your choice of either the CD or DVD album, the book and the study guide. This package has a catalog value of $85, but you can get it today for only $60. Also, today's individual audio CD is available for a gift of any amount when you write or call. We encourage everyone to give, but if you're simply unable to afford it, Andrew and his partners will provide today's teaching free of charge. You can order resources or become a Grace Partner through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download many free resources. Or call our helpline at 719-635-1111. If the lines are busy, remember, you can order ministry materials or become a Grace Partner 24 hours a day, 7 days a week at awmi.net. If you'd like to write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. I'd like to invite you to come and join me this summer for our Summer Family Bible Conference. It's July the 1st through the 5th, and we are going to have a lot of different speakers. We have a youth ministry. It will bless you. It will encourage you and entertain you, and it's just going to be a great time for the entire family. Remember, it's July the 1st through the 5th, 2019, at our facilities in Woodland Park, Colorado. Do you want to connect with like-minded believers? Do you want to go deeper in God's Word through the teachings of Andrew Womack? Then Karis Bible Studies is the place for you. Karis Bible Studies are connecting believers with the Word of God in your neighborhood. Find a Bible study near you by visiting karisbiblestudies.net. I'd like to encourage you to check out our inside story on our website. I interview people, and uh, during this month's inside story, I'm interviewing Dave and Marion Riffle. And he was an actual uh, chiropractor for 44 years, got hold of my teaching on God Wants You Well, found out that he had the authority. He spoke and saw a woman with Alzheimer's healed, and she was just totally out of it and came back, and he got so blessed that he left his 44-year practice, came to Bible college, now is ministering to people, leading people to the Lord, 
IT'S GOING TO BLESS YOU. SO CHECK IT OUT, THE INSIDE STORY AT AWMI.NET. MINISTRY IS ABOUT YOU COMING TO THE END OF YOURSELF, YOUR RESOURCES, BUT NEVER LOSING THAT HEART FOR PEOPLE. JUST THE DEPTH OF THE TEACHING THAT HAS BEEN PRESENTED AT THE ARMY CONFERENCES, THAT'S A WHOLE NOTHER LEVEL. I THINK WE ARE IN THE MIDST OF ONE OF THE GREATEST THINGS THAT GOD HAS DONE. THINGS ARE COMING DOWN AND NEW THINGS ARE BEING BIRTHED. THERE'S NEW JOY, THERE'S NEW LIFE THAT IS FLOWING OUT OF THEM. AND WE'RE NOT GOING TO QUIT AND WE'RE NOT GOING TO GIVE UP AND WE'RE GOING TO SEE THE GOODNESS OF GOD IN THE LAND OF THE LIVING. You are not alone. It's not just you and Jesus. We believe in you, and we're going to stand with you. You came here with some kind of a vision. Now what do you see?